0: Hi, this is Pastor Tom, and I want to welcome you to day five of our first week in the book of Acts. That means we're in Acts chapter three today, since we took a little bit extra time in Acts chapter one and two. We're going through a chapter a day from now on so we can get an overall view of what God does in this early church and what God can do in my life, in your life. Acts chapter two, what an incredible chapter. But you cannot live in Acts chapter two. You can't live in Acts chapter two any more than Peter could build a tabernacle on the Mount of Transfiguration and stay there with Jesus and Moses and Elijah. No, you have to go out from Acts chapter two to make a difference in the world. Lloyd Ogilvie in his book about the book of Acts says, the church was born to be a blessing. The wind of the Holy Spirit is to pick us up and carry us to people in need. The fire of the Holy Spirit is to kindle warmth and affection for others. The consuming fire is to burn out the chaff of judgmentalism and exclusivism. The ecstasy of tongues, of the tongues of praise is to give us excitement for the ministry of the Spirit through others. Acts chapter two, I would say, is the launching pad. But a rocket can't live on the pad. It looks impressive, but it never gets anywhere. It's gotta get off the pad. Acts chapter three is, in a sense, the church blasting off as we see the disciples' faith. And I love the way it begins. It begins with the disciples having time for a hurting person for a lame man. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. What a beginning of the ministry of the church. The good news needs to personally touch the hurts of people's lives. And Peter, in these verses, God, through the life and example of Peter, gives us some strong, powerful teaching about how to heal the lame places in people's lives. How to launch people into new places of joy and abundance in their life. Because that's what following Christ is all about. How does this work? Here's where it starts. The first thing you do is you have to notice people's hurts. Peter and John are walking into the temple. There's a beggar there. Beggars were a common sight. Often you would walk by without even looking. But Peter stops, and John too. And intently they look at him. They notice the man's hurt. And being noticed in that moment gave the opportunity for Jesus to heal. The question is, whose hurt do I need to notice today? And pray for them or talk to them, or minister to them. Whose hurt do you need to notice today? You notice people's hurt. Second thing you do is you call on Jesus' name. This man's highest expectation was money, silver or gold. Maybe they're going to give me some money. Peter needed to raise his expectation, so he gave him not what he expected, but what he needed. He didn't fulfill his wants, but he met his need. The question I have as I look at this is, how often do I give somebody silver or gold What they really need is Jesus Christ. How often do I encourage somebody, but not take a moment to say that it's because of the love of Jesus Christ in my life? Now, I'm not saying every time you give somebody a word of encouragement, you say, and I'm giving this to you in Jesus' name. That can sound a little bit goofy and self-serving. But I am saying, if there's somebody in your office that God has used you to encourage, and you've never been able to say to them, it's the love of Christ that's encouraged me, So how can I help but pass on that encouragement to you? Just those few sentences can change everything. So you share the love of Jesus Christ, but you do it in Jesus' name. The third thing that Peter does is this. You believe they can believe. What I love about what happens here is he says, rise up and walk, and then he sticks out his hand so that that this lame man can grab his hand so he can help him up. Peter's demand for faith was backed up by a hopeful hand of help. He didn't ask for faith and then just watch the man in judgmentalism, condemning spiritual snobbery. He didn't ask for faith and then laugh and ridicule. No, he stretched out his hand. He became personally involved in helping the man to have faith. So how can you, how can I stretch out my hand today? Who do I need to stretch out my hand to? In in essence, to say to them, I believe that you can have faith. Fourth thing you do. It all be, happens at the beginning of this early church. Fourth thing you do is you enjoy the Lord's work. They go into the temple together, walking and leaping and praising God. Peter doesn't say, calm down. We don't want any of that here. No, people are filled with wonder and amazement. Part of launching out into all that God wants to do in our lives is enjoying all that God wants to do in our lives. Don't be so somber about it that people look at you and think, well, I guess maybe they're gonna wait till they get to heaven to smile. I don't know. Start smiling now because God is working now. You enjoy the Lord's work. And as you're doing that, as we walk through what Peter did, you begin, number one, by noticing people's needs. Number two, you call on Jesus's name. Number three, you believe that they can believe. Number four, you enjoy the Lord's work. Number five, you give Jesus credit. You give him the credit. The people were looking and wondering at what God had done. And Peter was not about to let them think that it was somehow by any other power than Jesus Christ. From the very beginning of this story, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Peter says that in verses 12, last part of verse 12 and verse 13. The idea is you don't take the credit, you give the credit. In fact, Peter goes into a sermon here, and in this sermon, it's all about Jesus, even the names of Jesus. He has so many names for Jesus in this sermon. He talks about his servant Jesus, the righteous and holy one, the author of life, his Christ. You give Jesus the credit. And again, as I said earlier, you don't have to do this in an unnatural way. You just talk about what he's done in your life. One of the greatest ways to give Jesus the credit is by being grateful, visibly grateful verbally grateful for what Jesus has done you give him the credit number 6 what do you do to get people started to heal the hurts in people's lives you set the right course he is healed but now he's got to go in the right direction and immediately he hears a sermon from Peter like everybody else about the right direction to go what's the right direction for you and I to go in this life verse 19 acts 3:19 is one of my favorite verses in the book of acts i love this verse repent then and turn to god so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. What's the right direction to go in life? Repent and return. It's a simple formula. It's a little R&R, not rock and roll or rest and relaxation. It's a little repent and return. And when you do that, you get removed and refreshed. Your sins are removed. You're refreshed in serving him. Repent. What's the direction that God wants us to go? Repent does not mean You're going down. Repent means you're turning around. That's what the word means. It means a second chance, a new chance, a new start. It means a U-turn. That's the right course. I'm going my direction. I make a U-turn. I'm going God's direction. And when I do that, my sins are wiped out and times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. I love that picture of my sins being wiped out. That's what God does for us in Jesus Christ. In that day, ancient writing could sometimes be sponged off. So something that was written on a page could be totally lost, never to be seen again. I, uh, I have books of some of my old sermons, and as I look through those books, it's always a study in history for me, the ones that I wrote out, because those particular books of my first several hundred messages were, uh, were underwater for a week when the church that we were in was flooded. Many of them are still very readable, although a little bit muddy. But the ones that I wrote in felt tip, there's something about felt tip being underwater for a week. As I come to those pages, the pages are entirely blank. Well, I'm sad to have lost those messages, but the one grateful thing I have about it is, what a picture. What a picture of what happens because of the love of God in Jesus Christ. On those pages, I can look at them and it's as if those sermons were never there. There's not a mark on the page. And for you and I, it doesn't take a week underwater for that to happen. It takes a moment of faith. I trust in you, Jesus Christ, to forgive my sins. We're all lame, and this man was physically lame, but we're all lame, we all need healing, we all need forgiveness. Right now, ask him for a clean slate. Forgiveness is a clean slate before God. And if you've never asked, say to him, Jesus Christ, forgive me. By the power of the cross, what you did when you died for me, would you cleanse my life of those sins? And would you give me power to live the kind of life that only you can give? If that's a prayer that you prayed recently or a long time ago, you've already prayed it, then thank him once again. Jesus Christ, thank you for cleansing me of my sin. In your name I pray, amen. Next week, we're going to remind ourselves that nothing great happens without a battle. We're going to see in this young church great victories, but also great battles.